0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull working somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. <laughs> hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer after another terrific day, a day where the Dow surged 241 points. The S&P poll voted 1.09 percent and the Nasdaq skyrocketed more than 2 percent. Here's a question. What happens if the stocks make a bang, make a comeback? Is anybody ready for that move now that most of the growth oriented hedge fund managers have given up on Facebook, Amazon, Netflix and Alphabet? And the stocks and those that still back them are regarded as frauds, knaves, mouthbox, and clown shows. All right, call me a childhood. But at the end of the day, these are still fabulous companies, true disruptors. I think it's a mistake to write them off. How many times have I said that? Well, let me go through them one by one. First, there's the F, Facebook. Today, this stock got hit with a slew of price target cuts and a lot of chatter about how the turnaround is still a work in progress. Yet the stock roared higher. Why? Because the important thing here is that a turn is even possible. After all the negativity and disappointment on Wall Street, it seems like the big advertisers, especially the consumer packaged goods plays, like Clorox, that we'll hear later from the show, decided to stick with Facebook. Not only that, advertisers are spending a fortune on Instagram stories. I believe Facebook will be able to monetize many of its other products. And while I can't say it's back, I do think the company's now in a position to under-promise and over-deliver, particularly on expenses. Look, Facebook has done some real bad things. The traditional media companies blast them for good reason. But how the heck else are companies supposed to connect with a demographic that doesn't read or watch TV that has cut the cord? For advertisers, Facebook, I'm calling it the only game in town. I eyeballed the earnings estimates from the key firms that follow this company, and they're clustered a little bit less than 8 bucks a share for 2019. Even if you assume Facebook only deserves a 20 multiple or to trade at 20 times earnings, which is the lowest most money managers would pay for a company that still has 20% growth, you'd still get a $160 stock. That's up 8 bucks from where it's currently trading. Given its newfound expense control and its excellent growth, I'd argue that Facebook deserves a higher multiple. Let's say you value it like Clorox, like a bleach company that had 4% growth. Okay? The stock would trade at $184 a share. Now, that's a nice move. How about Amazon? Even after today's run, this stock, this company has become despised on Wall Street. Just despised. It's extraordinary. A month ago, Amazon was trading at $2,000 a share. Everybody loved that. Now it's just below 1600. Everybody hates it. Spend some time in the 1400s. gads People hated me for that. Theoretically, all, the, all of Amazon's major businesses have been called into question these days of late as investors try to figure out how the company could have greater earnings but come up so short on sales. So short, it's like a penny. We've heard that advertising must be slowing down or that Amazon Web Services is getting beat by Microsoft's a- Azure after that trip recorded from Mr. Softy. The stock had a second leg down last week when the smart money concluded that IBM's team-up with Red Hat would inevitably challenge Amazon's cloud business. Earlier this week, this happened. Then it got crushed yet again by a new theory. Amazon, which now pays its workers $15 an hour, is losing market share to Walmart and Target, which are now better companies than Amazon, and they pay their workers a lot less. These big box chains are playing to their strong suit, boasting about how brick-and-mortar omni-channel is the most convenient way to shop. And for once, Amazon shareholders are actually taking them seriously. They're quaking, and they're selling. Sell, 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 Me? sell, 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 Sorry. Big believer in Amazon. They offer advertisers a fabulous opportunity to reach people at the point of sale. That's the best place to get them. I sincerely doubt that IBM's acquisition of Red Hat will hurt Amazon Web Services, which, by the way, has a terrific relationship with Red Hat. I want IBM to succeed, but they're not going to overtake Amazon in the cloud to be a lead. Regardless, it's a huge market with enough room for another major player. Above all, though, I just don't think that online shopping or online advertising or cloud infrastructure is slowing down, which means Amazon has got nothing to fear. Next up, Netflix. Okay, this company actually reported a spectacular quarter, but the stock only rallied for a day before giving up all its gains. And then some even gave a lot more than that uh, because it was in the grips of a hideous market-wide downturn. Netflix is now off roughly 120 points from its highs here. Stock lost more than a quarter of its value based on, I don't know, valuation. Let me put it this way. You're not just getting that last quarter for free. You're getting the stock at a more than 10% discount to where it was trading before they shot the lights out. It's intriguing. Alphabet is probably the biggest quandary. Geez, you know, Ruth Porat's the CFO. Can I tell you that everyone I know thinks she's one of the smartest people ever? But then you just go and you listen to the horrible things that were said. You know what? I thought Alphabet had a pretty superb quarter. Gave you excellent 20% growth. It's got about $100 billion in the bank. Great balance sheet. Alphabet's mistake, like Amazon, poor forecast wrong. Amazon delivered a big earnings beat, but the revenue disappointed from what they said it would be. And uh, look, these are key metrics. And Alphabet got both of them wrong. They forecast wrong revenue and they forecast wrong earnings. However, if you actually listen to the conference call, which I'm telling you the algorithms don't because, they're, because the smartest people are dumb as wood, it was a terrific call. I read over it over it, and over it. I think that's one reason why the stock has made a dramatic comeback over the past couple of days. Now people are actually reading the call. And even though there were multiple price target cuts, and believe me, frankly, uh, so many people say that the halcyon days are way behind them. I think this is attractive. Plus, we just learned that Alphabet's gotten the go-ahead to start commercializing. It's Waymo, autonomous driving technology, at least in California. Self-driving cars are not in the numbers. They were barely talked about on the call. Lord knows we're so short of truck drivers in this country that, wow, that industry is desperate for self-driving trucks. Waymo's prospects give the company uh, a, 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 a huge leg up on 2019. Few of the remaining analysts who still like Alphabet, well, they didn't even come out and promote it. I don't know. Everyone's so gunshot. It's crazy. Okay, now we have a lot of lunacy in this market. Last night, after Facebook reported, stock went up about three points, then down about 10 points, before rebounding about six points to the mid-140s. At the time, I was watching the whole gang of fang like a hawk. And guess what? Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet practically traded in lockstep in after hours, lockstep in after hours, with Facebook's hours of zigzags. The exact same thing happened again today. They were lockstep. This is, ladies and gentlemen, irrational behavior. But it's the power of the ETFs. When one FANG stock gets wrecked, they all get whacked. When one rallies, they all rally, as we saw today with Facebook only gaining 4% and the rest of FANG following suit. This kind of moronic action is just monumentally stupid. These four companies are all so different. Sure, they each have some sort of overlap, but you know really what they have in common? The fact that put them together using their first uh, letter of their company, and they used to spell the word FANG, which is why we made money coined the play on, uh, on words. We coined the acronym five years ago. Now, I never thought I'd say this, but I rue the day we created this silly thing. You know, it's good for one day of the year these days. It's this day. All right? That's about all true work. I, I foolishly came up with the darn acronym. Now they're 10 fang ETFs. They link them all together. It's, it's shameless, stupid, what they make for a lot of fees. I guess they make a lot of fees doing this stuff. Right? They make fees. Isn't that what it is? There's one more point I want to make. FANG is by no means out of the wood. There are other ETFs that spell it with two A's, FANG, and the other A being Apple, which reports tomorrow. It's entirely possible that Apple talks about a Chinese slowdown. They might even have a miss in service revenue. Or there could be some other issue that I haven't even thought of, some revenue miss that I'm not counting on that will make it. My admonition about owning Apple, not trading it, which I've had for about, I don't know, what do you want to call it, 180 points? look bad. Just as bad as my sticking by Facebook and Amazon and Alphabet, Netflix has not been as a strong backer for me. But unlike the core fang names, Apple stock is barely down from its highs. So get ready for more short-term volatility, which, of course, is code for vicious, exaggerated declines by ETFs, OK? Plus, I have to admit that the charts here remain terrible, and the newly reformed Facebook could easily roll over tomorrow, taking all of them with it, of course. The bottom line here is that there's a reason these four companies have been able to disrupt entire industries over and over again. And that reason is the fundamentals, not that they're made up with the F and the A and the N and the G. Even when the fangs screw up, they're still incredible companies. And they're despised now as much as I have ever seen them. And you know what? I don't blame people because they're all linked together with these stupid fees, fee-generating ETFs, that everyone just says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm worried about the marketplace. FANG, The stocks? Not so much. Tom in New Jersey. Tom. Hello, Jim. Tom and Joanne in New Jersey. Good to have it's you, an, man. I'm a builder and an investor. All right. I, I use many suppliers simply because lack of customer service. And this company has made my job work like a well-oiled machine lately. And uh, it's got my attention. I, I see the sales. I see Home Depot is listening to their customers. Earnings are coming. What's your thoughts, Jim? Yeah, Home Depot uses Salesforce.com, and they have a tremendous technology group. But I'll tell you what. Here's how stupid we are, Tom. We're in, a, we're in a wave of stupidity. The chart's bad, so we should sell Home Depot. Now, look at this. The stock was at 215. It's now at 175. They got a big buyback. They got a dip, and they got a great balance sheet. How about buying some, and then if they slam it, buying more? What's the matter with that idea? It's called rationality. Let's go to Ryan in Michigan. Please, Ryan. Hey, Jim. Congratulations on getting golden tape, but I'm a Cowboys fan. All right. Well, we'll see you two Sundays from now, man. See how you hold up there, okay? In that home game for me. Right, Jim. Yeah. I'm a longtime viewer of your program, and only being 19, and I'm currently in a management leadership position in our full line RV dealership. So right. I think I'd have some insight. But, I, Jim, I want to get your take on sure. Thor Industries and Camping World. They currently sit or are at 52-week lows as recently as this week.
1: Yeah. Thor,
0: yeah. Thor recently bought Heimer. And uh, became a global company, and also Thor is very diversified in their product offerings. Well, you, you probably know, saw their September uh, industry th- wholesale report; they're down almost twenty nine percent. Right, right.
2: Well, here is what's, what's going on.
0: You know, people. Uh, the numbers haven't been good uh, for uh, Thor. The numbers are okay for Camping World, but. Uh, higher gasoline prices made it so that people uh, have been buying fewer of these. Uh, higher uh, interest rates to, uh, make it so that the market is cooled. They have higher costs for uh, Thor because they're making a lot of, they assemble a lot of stuff in Indiana. All of these are negative. But you know what? We have heard from Chairman Powell that now's the time to really start raising rates aggressively. Because we got to drive Thor down to zero. That's the game plan. Now, of course, he's not thinking like that. Only thinking people are thinking like that. All right. I expect more volatility tomorrow after Apple reports, but don't lose sight of the fact that the FANG stocks are backed up by the fundamentals, not just some stupid acronym I came up with. And that's a, le- a heck of a lot more meaningful than the wild moves caused by ETFs. Oh, man, money tonight. Clorox has come a long way from cork bo- uh, bottles of bleach, but can it keep cleaning up? Hit did a 4% growth. After today's drop, though, you got to figure out maybe it's sustaining your portfolio. I'm going to talk to the CEO. And Wingstop's headed higher yesterday after earnings beat. I don't know, but it's it then starting to go down. Is it the perfect time to take a bite? I got the CEO. And look for a play Look for a play that could keep the lights on during the recent bout of volatility. I'm talking American Electric Power. See if it could pay in a tough market. Well, at least for utilities. So stay with Fang and stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
0: I know everyone's feeling exuberant today. I don't blame you. But let's not forget that there are some very real worries here. Consider the case of Clorox, one of the best operators out there. It's a terrific consumer package, good stock, and it's got fantastic leadership. This morning, Clorox reported a strong quarter, modest top and bottom line beat, But management was forced to cut its full year earnings forecast, which is the last thing you want to hear from this reliable company. The problem, Clorox blamed it on cost and currency headwinds. Yet between rising costs, strong dollar taking a little hit next year. The stock sold up nearly 3% on the news, even though it was a big update. So what do we make of these results? Let's dig deeper with Ben Dori, the chairman and the CEO of Clorox, find out more about the quarter and what it means for the consumer packaged goods group and, of course, for shareholders. Mr. Dori, welcome back to Mad Money. Always good to be back, Jim. Happy Halloween from San Francisco. Well, right back at you, Beto. Now, this is a quarter that had a lot of uh, what we call puts and takes, and I want to try to get to the bottom of it. You ended up making the number. That's not an issue. You ended up uh, keeping a forecast relatively like many other consumer packaged goods, but I know you're not happy with what's going on with charcoal. And I know you can't be happy with what happened with Renew Life and out-of-stock supply. So can you address those for me? Because these are uh, highly unlike what I expect from Clorox and from you.
2: Yeah, a lot of puts and takes. So first of all, we grew 4% uh, this last quarter. 6% currency neutral on top of 4% growth uh, last fiscal year. We grew earnings 11%. So those are very good numbers, especially in this tough environment. Um, so we're executing well overall against our plans and the health of our portfolio is very, very strong. We had two parts of a portfolio that we're addressing. Charcoal, where we're putting stronger plans in place and confident that we can turn the business around in 2019. And Renew Life, we are facing temporary issues that are related to out-of-stocks following supply chain problems. Again, a very solid business, and we like the long-term trajectory. Overall, we're executing very well in a tough environment, which is why we've been able to hold our sales uh, outlook. And we've taken our earnings outlook down mostly because because of lower share repurchases, about 70 to 75% of the lower earnings are due to that. So they're non-operational. What we're executing, we're executing well, and we're focusing on what we can control.
0: Now, uh, is it a high quality problem what happened with Renew Life? In other words, the supply chain problems have to do with uh, so much demand, or is it just really hard to get product because it's so expensive now to ship things?
2: Yeah, we're seeing two things. First of all, we've seen very irregular order and patterns from major customers, and that is nothing special in the vitamins, minerals, supplements category, but newer to us. And then we've made some integration related, very good changes for us in the long term that have hurt us in the, in the, in the, uh, the last quarter. But uh, we're going to benefit from those. And we are now focused on getting the consumer back. And we're doing that with innovation. We're doing that with new packaging graphics. We're doing that with very strong claims, touting the superior value that Renew Life offers to consumers relative to the market leaders. And importantly, we are focused on e-commerce. E-commerce is by far the fastest growing segment in this business. Uh, it's growing about 50%, and we're growing market share in e-commerce, so we're doubling down on what's already working.
0: Okay, so, ben, all the companies complain uh, it's, it's everybody's got. It's the higher cost of, of uh, raw materials, higher cost of, tra- of logistics. When will these uh, anniversaries so that they're not a problem? They shouldn't just continue to go up. There is a limit to how, things, how much things can go up endlessly. So I know you've got to take some price. I know that causes a hit uh, short term. But at a certain point, can't we just say, you know what, this is going to end?
2: Uh, logistics is going to remain a headwind, but less so in the back half for us in the fiscal year as we start to anniversary the run-up. But just to unpack it perhaps a little bit. We're missing about 50,000 truck drivers in this country today, and that's because the job of a truck driver is less attractive today than it was years ago. And as a result, for every available truck, there are seven available loads, and that's two to three times higher than years ago. So that all puts pressure on the supply chain costs. And that is why at Clorox, we're leaning into cost savings, we're leaning into margin accretive innovation, and as you noted, we're leaning into pricing. We were the first company in our industry to lean into pricing based on the strength of our portfolio, based on the experience that we have executing price increases, and based on our analytics. And price increases have gone very well out of the gate. Consumption is strong. Uh, we've grown 5% volume uh, this last quarter, and this is the key reason why even in this difficult cost environment, we are projecting gross margin expansion in the back half.
0: Now, I'll, I think some of the analysts were feeling, well, wait a second, you're slowing down your, uh, your repurchase plan. Uh, if things are going to get better in the back half, why not buy stock now before it goes up on better than expected earnings?
2: Well, you know, we try to be very disciplined with uh, share repurchases. And the reason why we have taken down the outlook and uh, told investors that we're gonna buy less uh, this fiscal year was, had much to do with what's already happened. So this is mostly a case of the share repurchases that we've made in the last four months, which have been lower than we uh, anticipated initially. And that's because we have a very disciplined approach to repurchases and we're doing certainly what's right for shareholders. So, you know, um, we focus on what we can control. stock price is not something that we can control. Uh, and we're also uh, per day per, per today, not trying to win every single day, but we're trying to win the fiscal year and every three years, every five years, every 10 years. And certainly we've done very well for our shareholders over a prolonged period of time. And we've done so by focusing on what we can control. So we'll stay the course on that. Right.
0: One last thing you say, tariffs could uh, be five to seven percent. Where does that come into play? Because that's worries me from a point of view as a consumer.
2: Yeah, five to seven cents in earnings is included in our outlook right now, Jim. Uh, That's mainly really to do businesses, predominantly Brita, uh, where we're doing some imports, but it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things for the Clorox company. Uh, Most of what we manufacture, we manufacture in the United States. The United States is our home, and it's also where we're focused in terms of our growth activities. So we feel like tariffs uh, is something that is not a very big factor in our outlook. Uh, even if it uh, changes in January, we feel like we're in a pretty good shape as far as terrorists, terrorists are concerned.
0: Excellent. Okay, well, I think that the, uh, it's been one of the best performers in the group. It's almost at its high, so I totally understand. That's Ben O'Doris, the ch- chairman and CEO of Clorox, which you know has been my favorite with the super-packaged good stocks. And I think that even with things that went wrong, the company still did pretty darn good. Man, money's back in.
1: Coming up, is Wingstop ready to take flight in the heated restaurant space? Kramer's no chicken, he's got the CEO.
3: There are a lot of drivers for the consumer to have more money in their pocket, uh, more opportunity for indulgent, wonderful occasions like Wingstop. When Mad Money returns. (laughs) This
1: restaurant is spreading its wings, going digital, and disrupting with delivery. Can Wingstop add some spice to your portfolio? Okay, what the the heck just happened to the stock of Kramer
0: Fave Wingstop? Monday night, the chicken wings and beer chain reported, and the next day, the stock got slammed, losing nearly 4% of its value on a very good day for the market. But was the quarter actually bad? i got to tell you, when I go through the numbers, when I look at them, I like what I see. stock delivered a small a top and bottom line beat. Co- companies' domestic same-store sales rising by 6.3%. Analysts didn't even expect it to do 4.4%. Meanwhile, management raised their full-year earnings forecast. Sure, okay, it wasn't a blowout, but there's no universe where those numbers are bad. What went wrong? I think part of it was bad timing. Wingstop had the misfortune of reporting on the same day as a Texas Roadhouse, another restaurant chain that delivered disastrous numbers, poisoning the for the whole group. At the same time, while the stock's pulled back hard uh, from its highs in the recent weeks, okay, so it's not that cheap uh, on an earnings basis. It- it's run dramatically over the past couple of years. I've been recommending Wingstop aggressively ever since we spoke to the CEO in February of 2017. Since then, it's given us a monster 136% gain. Maybe this pullback is the opportunity. Let's dig deeper with Charlie Morrison, the chairman and CEO of Wingstop, find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Morrison, welcome back to May Money. Good to Thank see you, it, Charlie. Have a seat. All right, Charlie, a lot of these analysts, I went through every single downgrade. It's like valuation, valuation, valuation. I saw the same thing only one other time in my career. When Pat Doyle became CEO of Domino's, stock was 11, then it doubled. Mm-hmm. They all said valuation too high. Went to 250 under him. Can't this company have a similar trajectory?
3: I really believe we can, and I think it starts with our growth trajectory that you've seen already. Uh, Over the past few years, the continued same-store sales growth that we've seen, 14, soon-to-be-15 consecutive years of positive same-store sales growth, growing our unit count by uh, anywhere from 10 to 12% each and every year, I think it has absolutely the opportunity for that kind of trajectory.
0: Now, I know that some people are saying, well, wait a second, they are going to have rising construction costs, borrowing costs are going to be higher for the franchisees, they can't maintain that growth. Is
3: that really a factor? Not for us. Uh, Our restaurant uh, investment is quite small at $370,000. We've been able to maintain that average over the last five or six years. Our franchisees enjoy a great unit economic model, over $1.1 million in average unit volume, a $370,000 investment. That's a three to one sales to investment ratio. Um, They're going to continue investing as long as everything keeps cooking the way it is. But you have to tell
0: our viewers that this is not a, 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 a rainbow pot of gold. It's not easy to get a franchise from you. You have to demonstrate a level of proficiency.
3: Yeah, you sure do. And actually, about 80% of the franchises that we sell are to our existing franchisees today. And so they've locked up a lot of territory. There's still some available, but we love growing with them. But if you're going to come into the brand, we want you to be an experienced restaurant operator.
0: Now, uh, one of the things that Pat Doyle did at Domino's was really emphasize technology. I thought that this quarter, you're talking about digital ordering, delivery. Those, oh, well, you also, know, of course, did international growth. You talked about international growth. That's
3: the game plan. It is the game plan. There are four key drivers. National advertising, as we've scaled our business, is a great opportunity to continue to generate brand awareness for the brand. When you look at digital delivery, both of those two things go hand in hand. We have a fully integrated, seamless process into our restaurants for digital orders to come in. Mm -hmm. Today, 25% of our restaurants, or 25% of our revenue, uh, comes from digital. And then from delivery, we've been testing it for a little over a year, as you know. Uh, We just announced that we're gonna start the launch of delivery with Los Angeles coming up quickly, followed by Houston. Through 2019, we're going to continue to advance delivery to about 80% of our restaurant base by the end of the year. Now, uh, you have a partnership with DoorDash. You're very happy with them. We are very happy with them. We think DoorDash represents um, the best possible option for merchants like us to make sure that they take care of the logistics side of the equation. We've fully integrated our technology with them, and it's been a fantastic uh, process for our operators. Franchisees love it, and our customers, more importantly, really like the occasion.
0: Okay, I love International. I think it's a great business. How's it going?
3: Going great. Just today, Jim, we opened our first restaurant in London. It is. Right in Cambridge Circus with a line out the door. It's been fantastic. That's our 10th country
0: I just came back from London. They got bad wings over there.
3: Yeah, well, now not anymore. All they right. Wing stop. so uh, <laughs> things are looking up. And uh, we're really excited about our international presence over 130 locations, continuing to grow. We're gonna continue to add two to three countries every other year, build that foundation with solid infrastructure behind it so that we can continue to grow a long time into the future.
0: Another thing you do, Charlie, that uh, Domino's did, you like to give special dividends to shareholders. You
3: reward shareholders. We certainly do. We've uh, done that quite two times since (laughs) we've been a public company, even prior to that. In fact, if you look at uh, Wingstop since we've been a public company, over a 200% total shareholder return, inclusive of the strength of the stock as well as the return of capital.
0: Uh, natural voice recognition. We think voice is very important in technology. Obviously,
3: you do too. We do. We do. We've been testing that already, early stages right now. Uh, but what we see is the opportunity to digitize every transaction in Wingstop. No matter if you call, right. if you come in, right. or you use our web applications, we think we have that opportunity well into the future.
0: Now, could you give me... Um, you wrote... the. You call it CRM in the, in the conference. Room. Is that Salesforce or is it your own uh, customer relationship?
3: It actually doing? is a third party product that we're leveraging okay. to build the database. We're also investing in front end technology, so we'll no longer use a third party's product for our web and mobile web interfaces. Okay. We're investing our capital to build an infrastructure that we believe is going to be sustainable <laughs> for delivery as well. So if you see my number. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I want we will we'll know that if you're a fan of lemon pepper and you haven't ordered any gym We're going to serve up a message to you that says hey don't forget to add five more to your order oh,
0: God, That is so good. How about the $15 package? How did that go there? Uh, uh, we very
3: package. well. It was the first time we've nationally promoted a bundled deal um, It happened at a perfect time for us where we had some softness in traffic We restored traffic growth to the business this year in the third quarter now year-to-date Positive 6.7 year-to-date in same-store sales with positive traffic. And growth. went We're better each month was better. Absolutely. Each sequential month, even uh, throughout the third quarter, has been uh, stronger for us.
0: And uh, the one last question. I don't know if you're the best judge of it because you have such inexpensive but great value. Where, where do you see the consumer right now? Strong?
3: It seems very strong. You know, there are a lot of drivers for the consumer to have more money in their pocket, uh, more opportunity for indulgent, wonderful occasions like Wingstop and go out and visit. And I think it's reflective in our uh, company's same-store sales growth and overall performance.
0: Well, I am so glad when you came on the show, I said, this guy's real. The numbers are real. Of course, I looked into the economics of owning one of them because it seemed like so good. It was too good to be true because I'm not already a franchisee. And <laughs> I know you only want successful people to do it. That's why if you guys want one at home, you got to already have something good before you can get to these guys. That's Charlie Morrison, chairman CEO of Wingstop. I hope you see what I see in this company. I see lots of price work up. Stick with crazy. Tomorrow.
1: Kick off the trading day was Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. It was warm. We all knew that we had been tracked. Yep. What a terrible thing. they gotten rid of tracking, right? I believe so, yes.
0: Still angry about it. I can tell. I was, I was angry Uh, about it. It
1: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: At the end of a brutal month for the stock market, these last two fabulous days aside, what managed to hold up? What stocks managed to go higher since the beginning of October? We've seen some real strength in the recession-proof names, especially utilities. Take American Electric Power, AEP, which owns the largest power transmission network in the United States, along with some major power generation assets. Now, when long-term treasury yields started ticking higher earlier this year, the utilities got slammed. But thanks to a flight to safety trade, the group got its group back in October. American Electric Power sports a 3.65% yield, and it will do just fine even in a slowdown, which is why the stock has gained 3.5% since the end of September, even as the average has been hammered. Even better, the company delivered a nice beat and raise quarter last week. But can the stock keep climbing? I don't know. Let's check in with Dick Akins. He's the chairman and CEO of American Electric Power. Learn more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Great to be back with you, Jim.
0: All right, Nick, i got to tell you, uh, your stock has been among the best during the month of October. There are utilities that did better. It almost seemed like in this particular conference call, you lamented how well your stock is doing, given how great your earnings (laughs) were. lamented to the point that you uh, sang uh, some Chaka Khan. What is that about?
4: Oh, yeah, they're up up for the Rock Hall of Fame this year, so I thought I'd use that as a reference to to, um, really trying to give our shareholders that warm and fuzzy feeling going forward.
0: So it's I feel for you because, uh, uh, baby, baby, when I look at you, you, I get a warm feeling.
4: That's right. That's well, that right. is you. I yeah, should tell I, people I
0: mean, Nick, is, Nick is deeply involved <laughs> with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is one of the greatest events in the world uh, at, in Cleveland, and he takes it to heart. But I have to tell you, Nick, in the end, your stock did do better than every than most stocks I follow in the month of October. And a lot of that is because you had a great quarter. And you should talk about how terrific it really was.
4: Yeah, we did have a great quarter. Weather obviously drove a lot of it, but but obviously the 8.1 percent dividend increase was was uh, really very good for our investors and really showed the confidence that our board has in the business plan going forward. We're obviously seeing 5 to seven, uh, five to 7% earnings growth rate uh, for the foreseeable future. And certainly, uh, we expect dividends to be commensurate with that growth. And we have a solid financial plan, solid company focused on capital deployment, particularly in transmission and other areas. And, and certainly, uh, it just shows that our business plan going forward is very positive.
0: Now, Nick, one of the things that happened this quarter that was interesting to me was that you always measure yourself, uh, and your stuff is so transparent, against the GDP of the rest of the country. This time, that your areas right. did not outperform the GDP. Why was that?
4: Yeah, that's right. Uh, for the first time, we, we see some tempering of the economy, particularly when, uh, when it's non-oil and gas related. Oil and gas is still doing fine. Uh, industrials grew by 2.4%, but we saw residential and commercial growth come down a little bit. Uh, we think it's really driven by a strong dollar. Uh, Certainly some of the tariffs are having an impact on non-oil and gas related activities, chemicals and so forth. And uh, we're seeing some level of tempering. So uh, we're watching that very closely as we go forward.
0: I've been telling people, look, I'm very worried that the economy could slow down, both because of the higher interest rates, 5% mortgage rates, and because of, the, uh, of what I regard as a, what tariffs have done historically to the economy. But the reason why I say it is not political. It's, I looked at your numbers. I mean, your numbers clearly indicate that if the economy is no longer accelerating, at least the industrial economy, and that does matter for America.
4: Yes, it absolutely does, because you're seeing some it really sort of erodes confidence when you see uh, that kind of activity start to temper in that regard, particularly commercial uh, load, which is your mom and pop stores and, and commercial uh, big box stores, those kinds of things. And, and you want to be, make sure that that continues to progress because residential will follow. Uh, Industrial is doing well, but but in only in particular sectors.
0: Yeah. Thank heavens, because this is you are not a political person. You are straight out just telling us what your data shows, and that is the data that I think that the Fed should be looking at, not just their Federal Reserve books that they, that they have. Now, let me ask you, um, if the president were to call you and say, you know what, you have a lot of coal in your districts that you serve, I want you to use more coal, would you be able to explain to them that it's more complex than that?
4: Yeah, I think I would. I, it's it's much more complex than that. And obviously we're trying to do things to develop those particular coal related territories like our Appalachian Sky initiative that focuses on uh really a lot of a lot of people in those areas are, are well versed toward Uh, Industrial type activities. So, we're trying to get industrials uh, to locate in those particular areas to give options going forward. But for coal, coal fired generation continues to to, uh, fall in this country. Uh, Certainly, exports are a big impact uh, from that perspective, uh, particularly metallurgical coal. We want to see that continue to progress, but but I think it's going to be tempered in its approach uh, relative to coal fired generation. So, we have to really think about what that means to the economies in those regions of the country.
0: I was on the uh, General Electric call, and they've got a straight shooter in there now, Larry Culp, uh, and they yeah. that company badly misjudged something that I think I may have misjudged, which is that with natural gas so cheap, you would expect that a lot of turbines would be built, but uh, the big pro- era of the big projects gone, isn't it?
4: I think you're seeing a much broader view of resources going forward. Uh, Certainly renewables are coming into play. Natural gas is being looked at as as a backup source for renewables. But you're also seeing, we view transmission as a resource to bring renewables to market and to be able to optimize the entire grid from a resource perspective and you're seeing energy efficiency and those, those smart analytics that are in place relative to the system that are really enabling us not to build that next central station generation facility. So you can expect that to continue to be tempered in the future.
0: One of the reasons why I've been recommending your stock for years and years and years is you don't take big bets. There are utilities that have built gigantic complexes that have wrecked their balance sheets. That's not AEP style.
4: That's right. We have thousands and thousands of smaller projects. That's deliberate from our perspective because we're able to really – Uh, have uh, execution control around these projects and adjust based upon what we're seeing financially. So uh, it really gives us an opportunity to focus on the ins and outs of, of those kinds of projects to accumulate to Really, a steady earnings and uh, dividend quality for our for our shareholders. Well,
0: that's just what shareholders really want when it comes to utility, which is why I've been recommending you. You take the least risk and you give a consistent, consistent return. That's what people want. Thank you to Nick Aikens, Chairman, President, CEO of American Electric Power. I don't know Shaka Khan. Oh, why not? She's fabulous. Man, my get to the break. It is time. It's over the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's over for the lightning round Claimers of cameras and money. Let's start with Amy in Nevada. Amy. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call today. Uh, I need your your valuable advice. Um, my stuff today is Silurian. They announced today that they're not going to uh, acquire the Toshiba Freeport volume. And um, they're not worried about the trade war with China because they're not going to start trading until 2023. I got my. Yeah. Um, OK, well, look, you know, I'm look, I'm a believer in the chairman. I, the chairman has not let us down. I uh, here I'm talking about, you know, I, I, I'm talking about Sharif Suki. Uh, so I've got to do more work, though. Uh, we got to get Shreve back one. All right, let's go to Kevin in Massachusetts. Kevin.
1: Hi, Jim.
4: Kevin. The biotech stock, I'm, I'm, how's it going, man? The biotech stock I'm calling about has recently received European Commission approval for its breast cancer drug and has an earnings report tomorrow. The stock is PBYI, Puma Biotechnology.
0: You know, I have historically liked this, but I'm not going to put a gun to my head. I want to see what they say. You know how often these things are really dictated by what they report. So to be so presumptuous is to be able to say what they're going to say ahead of time, I can't do that. I need to go to Jonathan in California. Jonathan.
3: Hey, Jim, I just want to thank you for everything that you do and helping us understand this volatile market. My question is, should we start nibbling on some Costco?
0: I think you can buy a little Costco. It's held up the best of any of these. The ones I like, I like Costco, I like Kohl's, and I like Walmart. I think those are all pretty good. I also like Target. So I think it fits the pattern of what I think it's okay to buy. Let's go to Mitch in Arizona. Mitch! Hi, Jim. Yo, Mitch. What's up?
4: Golden Tate.
0: Golden Tate. Can you believe it? Yeah, I think he let us do some screen passes. It stretches the field. We're finally good. I actually think about picking up Smallwood. Sorry, that's probably off-key. Off what's up? Uh exact
4: sciences. Are you a buyer? Third quarter?
0: Better than expected. Still a big short position. I like the numbers. Let's go to Wenzel in Florida. Wenzel Booyah Kramer, Booyah. a very
3: happy Halloween.
0: It's all Greetings same. to you from Coral Spring, Florida. Okay. Hey, got a question. I have a pretty good sized position in XPO logistics. Okay, XPO reported after the close and they had a bankruptcy. One of their clients filed for bankruptcy, it looks like that's gonna bring the stock down four. They just hired a buddy of mine, Matty Fastler out of Goldman, who's a really, really smart guy. Brad Jacobs doing a good job. I think the weakness caused by this bankruptcy might be an opportunity to. Bye, bye, bye! Let's go to Vinny in Illinois. Vinny Jim, how are you? I'm good, Vinny. How oh. are you? ALGN Align Technologies. That was not a good quarter. And my friend Herb Greenberg has done quality work, and this did surprise me. Finally, the competition is up to them, and there are other companies that want to beat it against Invisalign, and they did not do the number, and that was shocking to me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: The single most positive thing we've seen over the past couple days—something that could actually trigger a big rally—it's not the remarkable rebound in the averages themselves, or even some strong earnings. We didn't see that many. Nope. The most heartening development this week was actually from a company that reported a pretty bad quarter. But a company reports awful numbers and its stock falls. Nobody cares, right? That's business as usual. But when you report awful numbers and your stock surges higher to be one of the biggest gainers in the S&P 500. Well, that's a classic signal that the psychology of the market may be changing and changing for the better. It's a very important signal that many, like me, were looking for, and we got it yesterday morning from Masco, the giant buildings and material company And I think it carried over through the day yesterday and through today. If you scroll through the headlines about this maker of kitchen and bath fixtures, you'll see endless stories recounting how badly Masco is doing. It makes sense. Housing's slowing, rural costs are rising, Fed's tightening, tariffs are expanding. Of course, Masco's numbers are coming down, right? They they have to. Right up front, management cut their full-year earnings forecast. Now, this whole year, Masco's been what I call a terrific short, almost an annuity. Stock's currently down 35% from its highs in January. But every so often, we'll reach an inflection point, a point where the bad news is totally baked in and a short becomes a long. And that's what happened to Masco yesterday and it reverberated throughout its group. They cut numbers and the stock rallied more than 7%. This is an important tell, people, an important tell for the broader market. So I want you to understand how it it happened and why. Give you the context so you can spot them yourself. For starters, you need to know that Masco is a very well-run company with excellent financial discipline and and really great slots in the big box stores, especially Home Depot. But because it's so heavily tied to the ailing housing market, this was one of the worst-performing stocks around coming into the quarter. Between the slowdown in housing caused by higher interest rates and the rising raw costs caused by tariffs, Masco has been crushed. So the analysts were loaded for bear, and I don't mean bear B-H-R, which is their paint business. Wall Street was ready to trash this thing nine ways to Sunday, but they didn't hear the story they were expecting. First, it turns out, turns out that raw costs, raw costs for Masco have peaked. Wood. Copper, zinc, even titanium dioxide, the key paint it's a whitener. They're all coming down. When demand dries up, commodity prices tend to fall off a cliff. But that was unexpected. And it is going to bolster NASCAR's bottom line next year. Second, while housing has undoubtedly slowed, the repair and remodeling business has actually gotten stronger. Because when people are reluctant to buy new homes thanks to higher mortgage rates, They spend more on renovations. Of course, we know that home equity loans have also gotten more expensive, but the job market's gotten so strong that most people don't need to take out a loan to renovate. Finally, and I think this is what I think no one expected. Big companies like Masco, they have both an ability to pass on tariffs and to profit from them. Get this. i got to quote this at length because it's so important. They had a statement on the call that just stunned me. They wrote, We import approximately $600 million of components and finished goods that come under the tariffs. And then they go on. If the 301 tariffs, their name, rise to 25 percent, as is planned on January 1, this would amount to approximately $150 million of inflation, or roughly 2.7 percent of our annual cost of goods sold. This is less than the amount of raw material and other inflation we effectively dealt with in 2018, end quote. In other words, Masco dealt with worse this past year, and sales held up fine. What else? Quote. We believe this amount of additional cost is manageable through a combination of price increases, supplier negotiations, supply chain repositioning and other internal productivity measures. End quote means. Hey, listen, don't cut our numbers too deep because we could beat them. And then here's the coup de grace. Masco tells us it's going to shift production from China to other countries in Southeast Asia over time. Can't do it tomorrow. And to its plants in Indiana, Tennessee, California, North Carolina and Texas. But the competition. Oh, how about this? How about this, people? Quote, many competitors, such as private labels, source nearly 100 percent of their products from China. So we would have a competitive advantage against these competitors, end quote. In other words, if you're nimble like Masco, the China tariffs can give you a real edge in your private label competition. Put it all together and you got a stock that's down 32 percent for the year. Even as its raw costs are now going down, its end markets are holding up thanks to repair and remodeling demand. And its supply chain is strong enough that the tariffs may actually allow the company to crush It's private label competition. That's how a stock like Masco managed to rally on seemingly horrific news. Now, I bet it's got more room to run. And that's how you get a bottom in a terrible group. Stick with Kramer. All right, they did it again. They pronounced FANG dead. Now, let me tell you, FANG has been the greatest thing that I've ever come up with when it comes to the stocks. What I'm upset about is the linkage by the ETF. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, I am proud that I identified them five years ago. And you've made a killing. And RIP to them? No way. Matter of fact, I like them. Maybe down here a little more than ever. I was, I like I said, there's always a bull market so I promise I'll find it just for you right here Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see. happy Halloween, and I will see you tomorrow.